Hey everybody, before we get into today's show, I want to tell you guys about Anchor. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. When I thought about starting the state of Southeastern, I thought, is anyone going to care? Is anyone going to read the website? Is anyone going to listen to the podcast? You know what I didn't wonder? Where I would record that podcast. I always knew Anchor was the place for me. And that is because Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. They've got a ton of tools within the app that can make your podcast sound really cool. A bunch of stuff that I don't know how to do. They've already got it handled. Okay? So, if you have any interest in starting a podcast, Anchor is the place for you. And guess what? It's as easy as going to anchor.fm to get started. Now, let's get into today's show. What's going on, everybody? I may be sick. I don't know. Woke up with a bit of a runny nose, but that's still up in the air. You know what I am sick of? Waiting for the FCS playoffs. But good thing is, I only need to wait one more day. Round two of the FCS playoffs. Southeastern and Sanford coming at you tomorrow Well, if you're listening to this on Saturday, coming at you today. If you're listening on Friday, tomorrow. If you're, for some reason, listening on Sunday, then you already know that Southeastern dominated. We'll preview the round two playoff matchup. We've got an excellent interview with the head coach of the Southeastern Lions, Frank Selfo. If you follow the Twitter page, you may have noticed... In our Thanksgiving meme, I forgot to put him in it. And that was, you know, I thought I was going for realism there. A guy preparing for an FCS playoff matchup. Coach addresses it. You're going to want to hear what he has to say. And, and then we get into the game itself. Awesome interview with Coach. Can't thank him enough. Um, just an awesome guy and uh, great interview. And then... Southeastern women's basketball on the map. We'll share uh, share our thoughts on the near upset of LSU today on the state of Southeastern. Welcome to the state of Southeastern, everyone. FCS playoff round two preview. I'm John Sartori. Thank you so much for supporting the show. As we move into the second round of the football championship subdivision playoffs, Southeastern travels to Birmingham on Saturday to take on the Samford Bulldogs, who are playing their first ever home playoff game, which is shocking to me. This is a really competitive team historically. They've never hosted. They have never hosted a, uh, a home playoff game. So you know that they'll be, uh, they'll be ready to go. Been members of the FCS since 1989. And they've actually only won one conference championship prior to this year. They won the Southern Conference this year. And all right, maybe... Maybe I was wrong. You know, Devlin Hodges won the Walter Payton Award, and maybe that's got me thinking that 
historically they're better than they are. This is their first playoff appearance since 2017. And they haven't won a playoff game since 1991. They have lost now one, two, three, four, five straight FCS playoff games. It started in 91 when they lost in the semifinals to Youngstown State. They have not gotten out of their opening round matchup since. It's the first time they've been to the second round since 91 because they got the bye. Obviously a 10-1 football team who is 10-0 against the FCS. Their only loss came to a school from the FBS, um, Georgia. So a, a decent opponent there. Against ranked FCS teams, obviously 3-0. They've defeated Kennesaw State, who was 8th at the time, 27-17. Chattanooga, who was 11th, 35-24. And then to close the regular season, they beat Mercer, who was 19th, in double overtime, 50-44. Obviously looking for their first ever state championship. A little fun fact, we have a Samford transfer on the... uh, on the roster in Slade Ziegler. Only one Louisiana native on their roster, Thomas D'Armond, or D'Armond, however you'd like to pronounce it. Uh, a freshman wide receiver from Baton Rouge, Episcopal High School, who has uh, participated in three games this year. So there's your, uh, your Louisiana facts. Getting into the nuts and bolts of what makes this team go. If you follow the FCS, Michael Hires is a serious candidate for the Walter Payton Award. Obviously, you know, I think Lindsey Scott is probably, uh, probably the favorite just because of the statistics. He's got 50 touchdowns. Michael Hires has 35. But he is on pace to have the best completion percentage in the history of of FCS football this year. He's got the the least amount of interceptions for the most pass attempts. Three interceptions on 428 attempts from Michael Hires. 35 touchdown passes. Those 35 touchdown passes are good for third most in the country. Tim Fordham leads with 56, but he's got 10 picks. Lindsey Scott's got 50 to just four interceptions. So Michael Hires is the guy to watch. Uh, We'll talk about what he brings to the table with Frank Selfo later in the show. On the ground. Now, before we get into the ground attack, uh, Quincy Crittenden is the only other quarterback who's thrown a pass this year. He's 4 of 6 for 47 yards. He hasn't uh, thrown for a score. Now, the reason I bring that up is because in the season finale against Mercer, Hires got banged up. Crittenden actually led them to the overtime win over Mercer. In in overtime, that was. Um, but again, he has not seen much action. Just six pass attempts. And then on the ground, he's carried the ball three times for a score. We're expecting Michael Hires, but just in case, Quincy Crittenden, freshman quarterback, he's the only other quarterback who has seen any action this year. Now, on the ground, no 1,000-yard rusher, no rusher in double digits and touchdowns. They are going to throw the ball much more than they're going to run it. There's three players 
with 100 rushing attempts this year. Jay Stanton, senior tailback, has not rushed for 100 yards this year. He's got three 90-yard games and has not... um, And again, has not crossed the 100-yard plateau. Only three touchdowns for him. Jalen Thomas has the majority of the scores. Only one 100-yard rushing game for him. That came against Furman on just five carries. He's a home run threat. And then the other player who has 100 rushing attempts is the quarterback, Michael Hires. Just a junior. He'll be back next year. And here is the stat that is concerning. But it's also maybe the stat that if we shut it down, we'll be okay. Their only loss was obviously to Georgia. No one expects Samford to beat Georgia. But it's the only game Michael Hires hasn't thrown a touchdown. Samford was shut out. He's thrown multiple touchdowns in every game except the Georgia game. Four against Kennesaw State, four against Tennessee Tech, four against Western Carolina, two against Furman, two against Wofford, four against East Tennessee State, three against the Citadel, four against VMI, four against Chattanooga, and then four against Mercer before uh, he left the ballgame. If we take away Michael Ayers, it's a, it's a really dumb thing to analyze, take away the quarterback, but that's it. They want to throw the football, and honestly, the last two falls going into this game, you think this is not a good matchup because the defense, we saw it against Montana getting absolutely torched by Samari Toure, and then James Madison. We just could not get off the field. The offense played well, but we didn't score every time on offense, and if we were going to win, we needed to. This is the best playoff defense we've had since Frank Selfo's been there. We don't need to score every time. We need to get off the field. And I have the most faith in us to get off the field this year. As opposed to the the previous two playoff games. Obviously, when you have a great passing game, the receiving core is going to be good. Chandler Smith is their leading receiver, 86 catches, 892 yards, and 10 scores, Led uh, followed by Kendall Watson, 73 catches, 851 yards, and 9 scores, and then uh, DJ Rias. Alabama transfer uh, has 6 touchdowns, 39 receptions, 509 yards. There's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 players with at least 20 receptions. So kind of a, you know, a bit similar to us in how they spread the ball around. Let's see how many we have in terms of players who have uh, 20 receptions. All right. We've got one, two, three, four. We've got four, but we've got one, two, three, four. Five, six, seven, eight, with at least 14. Ivan Drobaki actually leads us in 
receiving touchdowns, which is if you would have told me that, I'd be I would have told you that that's shocking. Um anyway, finally uh before we we move on taking a look at the uh defensive statistics for Samford. They give up uh just under 24 point 24 points per game. That is 39th best in the FCS. We give up just over 24 which comes in at 40. They are 101st in the country in opponent yards per game that they give up. So explain that, how you give up that many yards, but you only give up 23 points per game. Because their red zone defense is... It's not like that's in the top 20. They give up the 64 most rush yards in the country and then the red zone defense let's take a look at that the top team in the country is North Carolina Central they are not in the top 50 in red zone defense and they are we uh we we're actually tied we have the same red zone defense percentage. We both give up uh, 81%. We're tied for 59th with Portland State. One final stat I want to look at, obviously, with you know a, um, a team that's going to throw the ball around, where Southeastern comes in and pass yards allowed. The top team in the FCS is Jackson State followed by Delaware and then North Dakota State. As we move through the top 50, we are 67th. We need a big day. Maybe we get some turnovers like we got last week, you know? Last week, you went in thinking, no way we win the turnover battle. Idaho tied for third in the FCS in turnover margin. No way we win it. We win it plus three, right? So... Who knows? Maybe we hold them to 120 yards passing. You don't know, okay? But, I, I, again, I will say this. I think it's the most favorable playoff matchup we've had in the last three years in the second round. It's the most favorable playoff matchup in the second round possibly ever. You go back to New Hampshire. You know, you think that's favorable because they had to come all the way down to Hammond and we lose at the last second. Montana was going to be tough on the road. James Madison was going to be tough on the road. And we saw how tough they were. Going to Birmingham is a lot easier than going to Fargo. I say that not to say that Sanford's home environment isn't going to be awesome. I love when schools get their first FCS playoff game. It should be really cool. But that drive to Birmingham is a lot easier than getting on a plane and going to, I don't know, Montana State, you know? So we'll see. Two o'clock tomorrow. Or if you're listening on Saturday today. Or if you're listening on Sunday, why? The game's over. Anyway, 
somebody who I know will be there. Head coach of the Southeastern Lions, Frank Selfo. Great interview with Coach. Let's get to it. All right, we are very pleased to be joined by the head coach of the Southeastern Louisiana football team, Coach Frank Selfo. Coach, before we get started, look, you deserve you deserve to get your get your shots in on me. I left you off the Thanksgiving table. Your thoughts? Yeah, uh, yeah. Like I said, I'm gonna probably go to a homeless shelter and get something to eat. Maybe they'll maybe maybe somebody will be nice to me over there, or maybe I just think of myself. Uh, I overvalue myself that I think that people from Southeastern might like me. Evidently not. Well, coach, I like you no matter, I don't know who it is that's running that Twitter account. It's definitely not me. It must be some intern I need to speak with. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's what you're going to go with, huh? It is. That, that, just stick to your guns there, Josh. Right. Stick to your guns. That's awesome. <laughs> coach, we appreciate the time. Um, so, it's unbelievable. I was talking with, with coach Artigues and it's, it's one of those, you have to sit back and kind of, you know, smell the roses moments, but of the three fall seasons, the last three fall seasons, more playoff appearances than ever in the history of Southeastern football. Um, do you look back at it at all and, and, and kind of have to step back and say, man, this is a special time. This is a special thing we're, we're building. Um, uh... No, you, you really don't have time, John. You, you know, you just you, you got to remember at nineteen we went to the playoffs, and then here we we show up in twenty, and we think we got a really good team, and COVID hijacks the season. So that was a blur uh, going through that fall, and then we started in the spring of twenty one, and we went for twelve months basically as just all ball, you know, and uh, we finished that twenty twenty one season. Again, had a nice run throughout the season and got into the playoffs and then uh, turned around and went through the spring and had basically had to reconstruct the team again. And then here we are. You know, so it, it's – I think maybe one day, I don't know, when I finish up or go somewhere else, then I'll look back and go, you know what, yeah, we did – there were some pretty cool things. But kind of when, you, when you're in the middle of it, it's hard to do that. You know, you, you appreciate what you, what, what's been accomplished, but – uh, you don't revel in it because you got to the next day you got to do something else and and it's and it's building for the future or or in this case building for another game on Saturday. And then uh, before we get into to you know last Saturday and this Saturday, um, this was a unique season for you because it was the first time, um, really, if you want to say in your time there because you had Chasen coming in your first year, you had him your second year, and then of course Cole the last two years. Um, Cephas obviously was the guy, but we saw Eli Sawyer kind of come in there game two, and he's done an amazing job. What has that been like for you to try to, I guess, um, figure out what you have at quarterback for the first time in a few seasons after you have the stability of, of Cole and Chasen? Yeah, well, you know what? That first year with Chasen, we weren't quite sure, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we had to figure that process out and see what really worked for him. And then – that came to life the next year, the 19th season. During the 19th season, Cole was our backup. So we had an opportunity to figure out what we had in him. And then uh, going into the next two years with him, 
you felt pretty good. Cephas was the backup, but didn't play as much as Cole did, didn't contribute as yeah. much. And uh, so going into this season, we really – it was a feeling out process. I think the first couple of FBS games, when you start off like that with good teams, you know, you take the first couple of FBS games and you go, is that really who we are? Is that really right. who he is? You know, because you're playing against good teams. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, I thought at times we played well in those games, but not consistent enough to really make an impact. And then I saw things coming in. You know, he, he started coming in his own and Eli contributing. And, you know, we kind of split the time, not split the time, but he, he right. Eli jumped in there sometimes. So, it, yeah, it, it, you know, you got to you got to find out what he's capable of doing and what they do best. And then you want to try to magnify those. And then uh, the things that he didn't do well improve those but at limit the amount of times that you do them Cephas is a guy who comes from an FBS school comes in with 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 a decent amount of hype and Saturday it felt like it all finally you know it's what he's been waiting for he's paid his dues you know he's done everything asked of him he's lined up at receiver he's been in the backfield could you just talk about his unselfishness to come in as a guy from the FBS and to be so unselfish, to do everything asked of him, and then for him to have a game like he had on Saturday, that's got to be really special for you to see for him. Yeah, he's the consummate team guy. He's a, he's a team leader. He's a, he's a captain for us. Uh, he and Teron Jones, who's another one that's so unselfish. You know, he, Teron had a big year or a decent year last year, and then now he's not hardly playing at all at the running back mm -hmm. position, but he's contributing on special teams. But you know, he never shows up, never says a word, just goes to work. And, and that's what Cephas does. And, I, you know, I think when you really saw Cephas come in his own uh, as to who he was as a man was when Eli got in there and was did really well. Yeah. The biggest cheerleader on the team was Cephas, uh, helping him out, going over things with him, helping him on the sidelines, things like that. And, you, you know, John, that, that's he epitomizes what we have this year on our football team. Uh, we've 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 been so close these last couple of years to winning a conference and things like that, and we just missed that, just missed a little bit. It was something somewhere. Well, it's somebody like Cephas Johnson and Teron Jones and Nick Kovacs, those guys who give everything that they got to the program without looking for something in return. They want to be that guy that helps everybody be successful, not just I want to go out and be successful. And I think that's what uh, that's why we're in the position we are now. And then the position you are in now, again, <clears throat> back to the second round of the postseason. Um, on Saturday, just a wild game. Had to be one of the more wild games that you've been a part of. Um, you had and to we've be been thinking, a part of some wild games too. Now there's been and, some, there's and been look, some and look. I mean, right when you thought all right, we got a little bit of breathing room. They punched right back. The kickoff return, the quick answer to the pick six, they had every single answer on Saturday. It had to just be, you know, you had to be thinking, what can we do? How are we going to put this team away? Yeah, uh, they had every answer, but we had we had one more answer than they had. Exactly. Right? And uh, I think that's the resilience of our team. I, I credit them a bunch. They came in here and did a great job especially in light of what's going on on their campus, right? And uh, the tragedy that took place there. Uh, so there's a lot on the back of their minds, but for them to make that trip come down here and to compete the way that they did, uh, my hat's off to them. But at the end of the day, you know, somebody's got to walk out of here with a win, and it was us. It wasn't them. And that's what I'm proud of our guys. And 
I, I think the adversity that we face uh, every day, going through things that we go through, uh, uh, it allows our kids to overcome. And uh, our players have not blinked in the face of adversity all year long, John. And, and I think that's the, for me, that's the key for us is when things do go bad, there's no finger pointing, there's none of that stuff. We got a great camaraderie, a great culture on our football team. Uh, our locker room is very stable. And, uh, you know, just, uh, I'm just happy. This is one of the best, most enjoyable years I've ever had coaching out of 41 that it, and it's because of our play, not because we're winning, but because of our players. I mean, just walking in every day, not having to have 10 disciplinary things I got to deal with. These guys are just getting it done, man. And you talk about the adversity you guys faced. I felt like there was more question marks than maybe previous years after the FBS, after the non-conference slate, especially after the FAU game. And your guys, like you said, they didn't blink. They went right back to work. And aside from the commerce game, you know, this was a, an amazing stretch of football you guys played after a tough first two weeks. Yeah, it really was. You know, and then, look, a couple of flawless injuries in there, you know, and, mm -hmm. and the guys yep. that we lost throughout the course of the season, especially early on, and not just losing a guy for a week or two, the season-ending injuries. That was uh, – so many guys had to step up. Jai Orgeron at left tackle, Javin Turner at uh, right guard, uh, Brockin Whips at right tackle, uh, Ivan Jabowski and Connor Briggs at the tight end spot, Bauer Sharp there, um, uh, the free safety, Markel Linzer, Ian Goodley, young kids, you know, hadn't played a lot of ball. I don't, I don't know, you know, Arlen Williams at defensive end. I, it's just, it just goes on. And all Rowan Briggs, true freshman coming in playing, and Caleb Proctor playing. We just it, it we lose, we lost so many guys early on that we thought whatever we need we do this year, we can't lose them. And we lost them. And other guys stepped in there and, and picked up the slack and then moved forward. So I, that's and that's what I'm telling you. I think look, our staff, I got the best staff in the country, and I think our staff did an unbelievable job developing those guys. Uh, getting them ready to play. And then when it was their opportunity to play, they were capable of doing it. And we're continuing to do that right now. Hopefully we can continue on past this week. And then you talk about continuing uh, on past this week. The last two times you were in this position, you know, you go up to Montana, you play a great offensive game, but obviously couldn't get the stops defensively. And then last year, uh, a, another good start. You have to feel like there is – some foundation for what you guys have done the last two playoff appearances in terms of the starts. It just hasn't been complete games. You should be able to rely on that uh, on Saturday. Yeah. You hope to draw from that experience, right? Uh, we got a, we got a few guys that experienced uh, the uh, 19 season, not many, but a lot more of them experienced last year with James Madison. And uh, you know, when you, when you wake up at the end of the day, the 16 teams plan when you get to the yeah. second round. And we've been fortunate enough to be in the second round three times and, and one of 16 teams to play. So that's an, I mean, that's not something that you raise your head and say, well, you got to get over the hump. Well, people don't even get to the hump, right? We're, we're one of the ones that got to the hump and we're pretty excited about that. So, I, you know, we got to figure out a way to play better and not turn the football over, things like that. And it's not cliches, but it is what it is. And when we do those things, we'll have an opportunity to advance past this stage. You, you referred to it in your post-game comments. The turnover margin for Idaho, they were third in the nation entering the ball game. Were you at all surprised with how well you guys were able to control the turnover department? Because it wasn't just one. I mean, to come away plus three against the team 
that just has not turned the ball over. That was huge. Yeah, you know, their quarterback done a great job all year long. He's uh, uh, he's just one of those guys, a freshman, and he's, and he's better beyond his years. I, I get, It was easy for me to say that after the game. Before the game, I wasn't quite sure. But after the game, we hit him, we pressured him, we gave him all kind of different looks, and he was still just a, one heck of a player. But we were able to get a couple of picks from him. And those are the, the, the two interceptions were so – uh, came at such uh, important times. You know, Zai's was a pick six, so we get points on the board. But then Donnell's was an interception in the end zone. Yes, yes. And, you know, they kept points off the board for them. Uh, and then the fumble was a punch out from a freshman, Ian Goodley, on the first play of a game. They have an explosive play, and he runs out, catches the guy, and punches out from behind. So there's a momentum swing right there that kind of equals, uh, you know, equals some stuff out. And I, I – Sometimes turnovers don't turn into anything, but ours did. Ours turned into yeah. stuff and created some momentum and, and really gave our fans something to yell about. Man, and, and, and it was, again, you, you use that term resiliency. You know, it was a bend but don't break game all night. And then on the last drive, um, you know, it looks like you get the interception there. You guys come right back after the roughing call. You're able to get the stop. Were you at all surprised that they decided to kick with 11 seconds? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think you look at it a couple of different ways. When uh, they knew they couldn't get the ball inbounds and get another playoff. Right. So they either had to throw it to the end zone or try to advance it a little bit further down the field. Uh, we were dropping eight on the play before. So there really wasn't a lot of space on the outside the hashes. We gave up the middle of the field, hoping that they would take the middle of the field. We rally, make the tackle, run the clock out. Uh, so I was kind of surprised, but we also – he felt really good about his kicker. We knew that he was capable of hitting it from that uh, distance because we watched him in pregame and at halftime. And, uh, you know, so it was I, – I think he could have made – you know, probably could have taken another shot. I think we probably would have taken another shot. Right. But, uh, uh, you know, he, he felt like, let's get it to overtime. We'll make it. We'll go to overtime. And then let's go win in overtime. And, uh, I, you know, I can see the thought process there, too. If it had worked out, then he made the right call. It didn't work out, so it's the wrong call, right? So, uh, right. But, uh, you know, I think when he missed the first one when we iced him and then uh, came right back and it slipped on the turf and then missed the second one and the rest is history. Man, and, uh, you know, we'll, like you said, we'll take it. We'll take it. And uh, we're on to Samford. They have uh, one of the best quarterbacks in the country, but um, dealing with a bit of an injury, um, do you – do you, what are you scouting, I guess, and what are you preparing for uh, for Saturday with them? We're preparing for him. You know, he's, mm-hmm. he's, he's going to break the – he's going to break the NCAA record for completion percentage. I mean, the guy's remarkable how uh, – uh, he gets the ball out of his hands. They're an air raid offense, so they're a how mummy, you know, for southeastern people. They're yeah. how mummy disciple, Mike Leach disciple, along those lines. They run the ball a little bit more effectively than them. But, uh, uh, I mean, he's completing 76, 77% of his passes, and they throw it a bunch. And we got to do a great job of tackling people. That's where I think the, the game is going to come down to. Obviously, turnover is going to be important, but he's going to get completions. I, I mean, it's just right. what he does. And uh, we got a rally attack. Yeah, uh, all but one game, he's got multiple touchdowns. The only time he hasn't thrown a touchdown this year is against Georgia. Georgia. Um, the benefit of staying close to home, obviously, 
you know, Eli, if he's able to go, he'll be playing right down the road from his hometown. Right. Um, a lot of guys on your roster from Alabama, um, probably a lot of players that you guys have battled with them for in terms of recruiting. You've also got a Sanford transfer and uh, Slade Ziegler on your team. Uh, is that a benefit at all? Or when kids transfer, is there not much that you can get out of them? Uh, you know, it's, I think in the NFL, we were able to get some information out of guys. They were just more aware of what was going on in their surroundings. Right. So when we traded for somebody or we signed a free agent off of the streets that had been in a different organization a week prior, two weeks prior, uh, we milked them for information, right? Well, sometimes our guys don't remember yesterday. And uh, <laughs> so it's it's really it really, it really hadn't been beneficial. We can get what we need off of film and then kind of go from there. But, uh, you know, the – those guys from Alabama are really excited about this because they yeah. are going home. Their families are going to be there. They're going to, you know, they'll be, they'll, they'll have some support. So I think it's pretty cool. They will do that. Gage Larvidane is going to go down as I think one of the great recruiting misses for everyone, but Southeastern, you know, in both sports that he plays. What is it about these kids who why don't people recruit them? I mean, because Gage Larvidane, I remember watching him at Riverside. He's one of the quickest kids I've ever seen. And no one wanted to touch him except Southeastern. Why do these kids get overlooked? I understand the size and all that. But if you can play, I feel like you can play. Why are these kids under-recruited, man? It's the size, John. That's it. You got to – you know, for us, size does matter. I'd rather have a, a – a a big gauge Larvardane than a small one, right? The same guy. Uh, but the competitive character that he brings to the table is what you can't measure all the time. And sometimes you got to look at the film and, and uh, evaluate what you're seeing. And then you got to go into it. And if you, if you like what you're seeing, go in there and let's do some research and find out about this guy, right? And when you ask the people that coached him, the people that taught him, the counselors, uh, the the cafeteria workers, uh, the janitors around the building, everybody, you, all you found was like a guy with impeccable character uh, that, that was a gym rat, that, that no matter what sport was going on, he was doing it, and he was doing it at a high level, and he was competing, and he hated to lose, and he would cheat to win, and he would do everything in his power to do during, his, during anything he was doing was to compete. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those boxes that you check, but I think it's a big one that a lot of people don't check because they're scared to put, they're scared to walk in there and say, I know he's only 5'9 or 5'10, 170 pounds, but he's really a good player. So we need six foot two guys. Come on, man. Don't bring this guy in. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're just not scared of that. We, we're, I want guys like him because, look, at, at the end of the day, you say, what is their floor? Well, you, you named it. He's quick. He can do so many things. He's, uh, uh, you know, his ability to play can impact the game. So that's his floor. What's his ceiling? Well, when you get him in here, his competitive character rubs off on everybody. Yeah. And now you see everybody's the level of everybody's game being lifted. The way they approach practice every day is, is better because he's busting his butt out there every day. And he's telling other guys, hey, man, that ain't good enough. Let's go. So when you get a leader like that who works like that, who not only ta- not only talks about it, but that when we say bees about it, then it's something that you go, we got somebody special. And we do. We, I mean, you said it. I think he will go down as one of the greatest players ever here. 
he stays healthy and everything else, uh, there's, there's, the future's really bright for that guy. Now, he's one of the guys that was overlooked. Everywhere across the FCS, there's Power Five guys who are now at the FCS level. But there's a ton of them that aren't making an immediate impact. I'm curious why you think that a lot of these players who transfer down um, don't immediately get on the field. Because I feel like from an outside perspective, you look at some of these players, you're like, well, if he's, you know, at Ole Miss, if he's at Auburn, if he's at an SEC school, he should be able to get on the field immediately. What is it about the difference in, uh, in the game that some of these guys wait their turn? Well, you, you got to remember that sometimes that we miss recruiting, we miss evaluate players. So maybe they went to Ole Miss or wherever you, SEC school, but they didn't belong there. You know, mm -hmm. they belonged at this level from the beginning. Uh, they, mm -hmm. they weren't good enough to play at that level. And they recognized it early on. The second thing is, is that even if they're good enough, if they're not willing to compete day in and day out, they would they can't function at a place. They, they, they wouldn't function here at Southeastern. If yeah. they don't show up every day ready to work and follow the rules that we have. And, and when you get out on the field, you're going to you got to you got to practice. and You got to practice hard. They're just not going to make it. It's going to be too tough on them and they're going to move on. So and, and every day they're competing against guys. It's not I'm walking in and I'm going to be the starter and uh, you're just going to give it to me. We're going to compete every day. That's just what we do. And uh, we're a little bit different from that standpoint. And and if you can't get it done, then you got to move on. We're going to we're going to help you move on. We're going to. It's okay. You, you, it's just, just, we practice with the gates open every day so you can leave. It's not so people can come in. It's so anybody that's on that field can get out. And, uh, you know, so it, it, that, I, that happens on a regular basis. And you really got to do your research when you take the transfer to make sure you can see on the film he's a good player. Uh, but you got to do the research to find out if he's a good person, does he fit the culture in your locker room. We turned down a lot of players. We turn on yeah. a lot of guys that want to transfer here. We get a lot of phone calls and we know a lot of people in this profession over the years. And when you sit down and talk to them and they don't give you the right information or, uh, and you trust what they're telling you, then we're not going to take those guys and we just go to a different direction. Uh, moving away from the transfer portal, a guy who is looking like he's going to be a homegrown talent for you guys. We talked about him a little bit, but Eli Sawyer, he reminds me so much of Cole with how accurate he is. Um, his status moving into round two and then I mean if you could just talk about him because he's really been in this uh the last few years I think the last four starters have all been FBS transfers of Southeastern it has to feel good to, to hit one on the high school level it, it is you know and it's hard to get a quarterback at this level uh you know that that you can grow and develop because you got to roll a dice and look at the upside of it and then you got to hit the upside uh so I, I think with Eli we have He's got the right temperament. He's uh, he's very cool, calm, and collective. He's got enough warm talent to do what we need to do. Uh, he's he's getting better and better with the offense. He's an accurate thrower, like you said. Uh, doesn't get rattled back there. Takes shots and gets up, and he's fine with that. And I think what's happened is that he's become a uh, his leadership qualities have begun to grow, and as he's gained confidence. He's starting to uh, assert himself a little bit more. And I think when you do that, when you start seeing that, the, the guys on the team also see that. And when he's in the game, you can see there's some energy that takes that, uh, you know, rises with him uh, be, because of the other guys. So I think it's pretty cool to, to watch his evolution take place over the last couple of years. And then um, is he going to be able to, to go on Saturday? 
yeah, that's our plan right now, right? So we're working in this week. We'll see what he can do. Uh, it'll be a, I say it'll be a game time decision probably Friday that yeah. we'll know one way or the other, and then uh, we'll adjust accordingly to the game plan. But we're preparing for both of those guys to go this week and, uh, you know, making a game plan available for both of them uh, with the stuff that they do the best. And then finally, Coach, I mean, uh, we've, we've talked about it, but it's, it's really unprecedented territory, a third straight playoff appearance in a traditional fall year. Um, just the experience of getting to, to play one more week. How exciting is it for you? Um, with this group of guys, like you said, an extremely enjoyable group. They've been so much fun to follow. Um, it's got to be just exciting to get a chance to now check another box, get to the third round. Yeah, you know, winning the conference was uh, another hurdle, right? Yeah. And uh, so we got that done. And then here we are again. And the resiliency of our team is one to just keep overcoming adversity. And uh, we don't set goals that are far off. We set goals that are today. Let's get better today. Uh, let's go through a process that we're going through today. Watch film, go to practice, uh, get rehab, eat right, rest, hydrate. And then trust that everything we do during the course of this week will get the results we want on Saturday. You know, it's Sanford's not, they're not going to lay down and just say, hey, man, good luck to you. I hope you get over the hump and we want to help you. That's not going to happen. So we know we've got to do the things that we need to do to, but we don't have to do anything extraordinarily fantastic. We just got to be who we are. And I, and I think our players are starting to understand that and play within themselves and not try to do something outside the realm of what they've been taught to do. And, and, you know, we talk about it. Do your job. Just just do your effing job around here, and then everybody will be fine with it. And uh, and and the more it permeates throughout our team, the more people take personal responsibility. Uh, we hold people accountable around here. The players hold each other accountable. And that's where the growth is coming from, John, is that the, uh, they're, they're willing to hold other guys accountable because they all want the same thing. We're pulling in the same direction. We don't have a lot of me guys. We got a bunch of us guys. And, mm -hmm. uh and that's what's pretty cool. You know, I, we talk about all the time, don't look in the window, look in the mirror. Because when you're looking in the window, you're looking at other people and you're blaming them. You look in the mirror, you've got no choice but to reevaluate that person. And that's where we're at right now with our program. So, I, I mean, I'm looking forward to Saturday, but I'm looking, I'm looking more forward to today to see how we do on the practice field and what our focus is and things like that. And then watch us grow from here. Frank Selfo, head coach of the Southeastern Lions, Southeastern in Samford, 2 o'clock on Saturday, round two of the FCS playoffs. Coach, thanks so much, man. John, thank you. I, I appreciate it. Maybe next year I can get invited to Thanksgiving. Look, look, Christmas is right around the corner. <laughs> I, I'm not, I, look, I don't have a lot of hope for Christmas. I'm going to have to – maybe they'll have something under my tree besides coal or something, you know. So, uh, we, we'll see how it goes. I, look, I'll I watch you. It'll be good. I'll see what happens. Sounds good, man. Thank you so much. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate you. Huge thanks to Coach Selfo. And I promise he will be in the Christmas meme. Before we go, big time shout out. Southeastern women's basketball. Putting Southeastern on the map. If we just get people to pronounce the name of the school right, then we're doing our job when we go play on national television. Isn't this all it's for? Maybe that's why people have been calling us Southeast Louisiana for so long. Because usually we don't 
perform well, as many mid-majors don't, going and playing these bye games. Well, guess who performed well this week? The Southeastern Louisiana Lady Lions nearly shocking the world in Baton Rouge. They fall 63-55 to then-11th-ranked LSU, undefeated LSU, who was absolutely destroying teams. Now, Southeastern overcame a 21-point deficit to cut the lead to four with 521 left. It's the closest game Southeastern's played against a Power 5 school since the 2017-18 year. Let's go through it. 84-56 loss to LSU, 112-62 loss to TCU, 88-40 loss to Alabama. Now you start moving your way down. Last year, we lose by 9 to TCU after we lost by, is that 60? We lost by 60 to them just three years ago. And then we lose by 8 to LSU. And it really was closer than that. You know, we had them on the ropes We've never been to the NCAA tournament. And so you have to think, is this one of the bright spots in the history of this program? We have a national championship in the 70s, but we've never been to the NCAA tournament. We've never won a conference championship. We've never won a conference tournament. Ayla Gazzardo is taking a program that had zero hope and turning it into a winner. They were 9-49 and in the two years before she took over as head coach. They were 2-31 and on the road in those two years. And now we're going into SEC environments and almost winning. I mean, you, what, what, what else is there to say? I just know I don't, I don't I don't know another school in the Southland right now that would compete with LSU the way that we did. And of course, you know, we gave LSU our best game. LSU's going to get everybody's best game. But you can't help but leave that game feeling really good about what we have. And Alexis Horn back after our first really good year under Coach Gazzardo, just before COVID, when she was a freshman, you know, she's back. 28 points for the Lady Lions in this one. She shoots 11 of 23. Volume, 28 points. Three rebounds, two steals. And, and we only took nine threes. We took good shots. We won the first quarter. I, I don't know. I just kind of rambling here. But we take away that second quarter. We lost it 22-8. to eight. We win the game. We beat LSU in all but one quarter. We beat them in the first. We beat them in the third. We tied in the fourth. We lost the second quarter. If we play... If we play just a little bit better second quarter, we win the game. Against the team that looked unbeatable. I'm just saying, get in the time machine, go back to 2015, tell someone that we almost beat LSU, and, and that Kim Mulkey's the head coach at LSU now. 
Tell them we lost by eight. Tell them we won the first quarter. Tell them that we played for a conference championship last year. They don't believe you. So, I'm just happy. I'm just happy for Coach Gazzardo. I'm happy for the players. And, uh, look, we're 4-3, and three, and we're coming back home. We got Prairie View A&M December 13th, and guess what? It's not our last chance to beat an SEC school. We travel to Alabama on December 20th. All right, that is our show. Again, huge shout-out. Thanks a bunch to Frank Selfo for his time. Make sure you head to our website, thestateofslu.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the state of SLU. And I took it upon myself to create a Facebook page. So you can follow us there at the state of SLU. Playoff football Saturday. Looking to get into the Elite Eight for the first time ever. Can't wait. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. All the Samford folks who are listening, good luck to you guys. We'll see you on Saturday. Until then, it's lying up over everything. This is the state of Southeastern.